Good morning, Doxes. Yeah, it's like Rob said, it's an honor to be with y'all today. And it's cold. I'm like super proud of everyone who's here. Because since I got to Wisconsin, all my Doxa friends, every time I say I'm cold, they're all like, oh, dude, you don't know anything yet. Like, it's going to get real cold, you know. So if this isn't that, then I don't know if I'm going to make it if it gets, like, worse than this. Like, seriously, like, if I wasn't preaching, I'd be on the live stream. So if you're in a live stream, no judgment. Like, I would be there with you if I wasn't teaching today. But it's an honor to continue in 1 Corinthians uh, with all of you today. Man, it's, it's been just a really timely book, I feel, for our church and just for me personally. And just to give you kind of like a review of the last two chapters, so whether you've been with us and just to freshen it up for you, or if you haven't been with us, here's kind of what's happened up to this point. Um, Paul found, was one of the founders of this church in Corinth. And in the first two chapters, he has received these, these letters, the, these talks about things that are happening in this church. And so in the first two chapters, he begins to address these things. And the main theme that he's talking about, the, the thing he keeps kind of emphasizing to them is, there's a way that God works. There's a way that he has values. There's a way that he lives out his will. And there's a way that he doesn't and then the world does. And he keeps showing them examples that he's saying, even though you guys have believed in Christ, you're trying to blend these together into this weird new thing. Like you're trying to have a, a little bit of both. You know, he says, when the world tells you to get glory, to live for your honor, he's saying, that's not God's way. He pushes for humility. Where conflict would be normal and maybe even encouraged, he's, he's pleading for unity. And today we're going to continue that. We're going to continue this charge in chapter 3. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm just going to give you guys a warning. Like, today's letter is going to get real. Like, Paul's going to speak really frankly to them and to us. And when you hear these challenges... I don't want you to think of Paul like this grumpy old man, like he's losing his hair. He's just kind of losing it. He's just writing angry letters for no reason, right? Like that's not who he is. Um, if you look back, even at the beginning of this letter, he begins chapter one by saying, I always thank my God for you. And he began just to speak this truth over them, like you are sanctified, you've been adopted, you're loved. And so the reason he's writing these, these what we might say harsh or difficult words to them it's because he loves them, right? He says, Corinth, Corinthian church, I know who God made you to be. Like, I know who God called you to be. And the way you're living right now, your life and your conduct, it's not matching up with that. Right? And, and he's saying, I love you way too much to not tell you something about it. Like, I love you way too much to just let you go on living life like this. Like, I care about you too much. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to speak truth to you. And so we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And there'll be two main things we'll look at that Paul wants to draw our attention to. The first, in the first half, he wants to draw our attention to pay attention to your focus. What are the things that you're focusing in? And the second thing he'll draw attention is pay attention to your life. Pay attention to your life. And a challenge for all of us that I want to give to all of us today is, as you hear this message, take a time to reflect. Take a time to think and say, God, how does this speak to me? God, what are you telling me in this message? Because I know the default, it's super easy, right, to hear something and say, like, ooh, I know exactly who this, who this, who this works for. Like, ooh, I know exactly who to send a sermon to as soon as this goes online. But just take a time today and just like 
honestly ask God, like, how does this speak to me? God, what are you telling me this morning? And so if you got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 1. And it says, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For when someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So the first point we'll look at this morning is Paul's drawing our attention to pay attention to what you're focusing on. And you see that the Corinthian church, they thought they were the special breed of Christians, right? They thought they were, they were the best thing since sliced bread. Like, look at their lineage, right? Paul, Apollos, Peter, they were blessed with a great lineage of leaders. They were blessed with great knowledge. They were blessed with spiritual gifts, which is something we'll see later on in this letter. Yet in all of this, right, they thought they were way up here. And Paul's going to come in, he's going to say, guys, you, you don't have the right view of yourselves. You think you are so spiritual. You think you're way up here in your spirituality. And he says, actually, like, you're down here, right? He says, you're infants in the faith. He says, you're babies. Like, literally, the only thing you actually understand, the only thing you actually can receive he says, it's milk. It's what I gave you a, a year and a half ago, and I'm coming back now, and that's still all you can receive. That's still all that you can process. Because they were looking at all these like outside things in them, that their knowledge, who, who started their church, right? The gifts that they had, and they said, oh, okay, that makes us really spiritual. 
They, had, they saw their resume and they felt, oh yeah, this makes us really spiritual people. But in reality, he says, your spiritual maturity has nothing to do with your resume. Like you're still looking at this through the world's ways. You're, you're, you're getting these accolades, these stars in your, in your spirituality, and you think that makes you closer to God, but it doesn't. That's not what matures you in your faith, right? And that's something that's really easy for us today too, right? It's really easy for us in our Christian life to look at these, these markers, these out, out, outside circumstances, whether how long you've been a Christian, how much knowledge you have, maybe what gifts you have, and to say, okay, like, I'm, I'm probably up here. Yet the reality is that those are just means to an end. Those are ways that we experience God. Those are ways that we serve God, but they don't tell the, the true story, the real story about, do you know God? Like, do you know his heart? Like, do you know who he is? Like, I don't care how well you can speak. I don't care how well you can do this. Do you, do you actually, like, know God and who he is? Um, see, for me, I became a Christian when I was, I think I was 13 or 14 years old. And some, for some pretty, probably really unwise reason, um, like six months into my faith, they're like, you should preach at youth group. You know, at that time, I'm like, sweet, yeah, like, I'd, I'd love to do that. And so, like, I went and preached, and to, like, my knowledge, it was, like, the second coming of Peter at Pentecost, like, the greatest sermon alive, you know, like, I was like, wow, like, I'm so spiritual, like, I'm so gifted, like, man, like, I just saw this trajectory, like, looking through the world's eyes, I saw this trajectory, like, man, in a few years, I'm probably going to be on TV, like, what will I do then? Do I still go to high school? Do I just, like, drop out and do this thing? Like, I had no idea, right? Like, I even remember one time in like this like Bible study group and this leader asks us this question. He's like, guys, like, like, where do you feel like you are in your spiritual maturity? You know, he's like, if, if zero was like, you're not a Christian, and if like 10 is like Jesus, like, where do you feel like you are? You know, and I'm like thinking, I'm like, probably like a nine and a half, you know? But I was like, but, but, I was like, but I'm humble. Cause I'm a really good Christian. Cause I'm, I wouldn't be a nine and a half if I wasn't humble. And so I was like, drop that down to like a solid nine. I was like, I'm a nine, you know? <laughs> and like, I genuinely believe that. Like, I, like, it sounds silly. Like, I genuinely thought like, I was that spiritual because I looked at these things I had done in my life. And I was like, yeah, like that means I'm like probably up here. Because what it did for me, like, it, it, it gave me this weird, like, almost like young Christian celebrity thing in my youth group. It's like, oh, you preach, like you're such a great Christian. And I believe that. Like, I feel like they believe that. I believe that, but who it didn't fool was God, right? Because the reality was, like, I, I barely knew God, like, genuinely. Like, I, I barely knew who he was. I barely knew his word. And the reality was, like, that was going to show sooner or later. And it did. It did. Like, it took probably six, maybe six more months. And when faith got hard, when the testing of my faith came, like, it rocked me. Like, because I didn't actually have a faith, a real faith that was built on Christ. And I didn't know what to do with it. Like, I was, as Paul said, I was literally just a baby. All I could receive was the most basic things. So when challenges came, I had nothing to defend myself. Like, I, I, I did, had nothing to believe in that could stand the things that were happening in my life. And so when you think about your, 
your spiritual life, how do you gauge it? Is it actually based on you and God? Your knowledge, your love, your obedience to him? Or are these Christian life markers the way you base your knowledge and your maturity and your relationship with him? Second thing we'll see in, in, in the first part is, is Paul's gonna say, not only do you not have the right view of yourself, guys, you, you don't have the right view of God. Right? You, you look at verse five, they're, they're fighting, right? And what are they fighting about? Who their leader is, right? They're saying, well, I, I be- when I was here, Paul started this. You know, as a guy on the other side, when I was here, Apollos was here, you know? And, and they're drawing these lines between each other and Paul gets word of this, and he says, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're causing division between yourselves over me? Over Apollos? He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? He says, we're, we're just servants, right? He, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but, only, but God is the one who gave the growth, like, you don't get it. Like, if, if I put the seed down and God does nothing, nothing happens. It stays there. And if Apollo comes and waters it, but God doesn't grow it, it literally does nothing. And you're standing up for us over what we did, and you're f- fighting between each other over what we did, is that you're missing the point. Like, you're literally completely missing the point. The point is God. Like, we... All we are is mere servants for him. Like, he's, guys, he's the one who saved you. He's the one who opened your eyes so that you would actually believe. It wasn't any fancy words that I said. He said it was God who opened your eyes. It wasn't any cool uh, discipleship curriculum that Apollos gave you. He says it was God who gave you the faith to grow and to mature. Guys, God is at the center like he's trying to hammer this down to them. It is, guys, it is God, it is God, it is God. It is God alone who saves. That is the timeless and the most powerful truth you could ever hear. It is God and God alone who saves, right? And if you're a, if you're a Christian here today, man, don't forget that. Like, don't forget that it is God and God alone who saves. It's not based upon you. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that. That it is God and God alone who saves. And I know that's not how the world works. I know this idea of grace freely given without deserving it is not how all of life works. And Paul's saying, yeah, amen. Like, that's what I'm trying to tell you guys. God's way is different. And I know that's not the way religion works, right? I know religion tells you, well, if you do all these good things here, and if you stay away from all these bad things here, maybe one day this God that is at the top of this mountain, like if you work really hard your whole life, maybe one day without assurance you'll make it to the top. And maybe God will look at you on that day and say, yeah, maybe you've done it more good than bad. Maybe you have. But how much, what is good? And how much good is enough to outweigh our bad? So it's this life of just 
striving, no rest, no joy, no assurance. But the one and only God who has revealed himself in the Holy Bible, the God of Christianity, as he looks at you, he says, I, I don't want you to, I don't need you to clean yourself up. Like, I don't want you to try to elevate yourself to a place of worthiness where, okay, you've done enough, I will save you now. The one and only God says, you, you can't. Yeah, you, you have not obeyed me and worshiped me and enjoyed me the way I created you to. And that has created an infinite separation between us. And there's nothing you can do to fix that. He says, but I love you. I created you. And your heart will be restless until they find the rest in me. And so I'm going to fix this. Because no morality, no good deeds, no charity can take away your sin. So I am going to come down and subject myself to the pains of humanity, to being rejected, mocked, beaten, abandoned, so that I will live the life, the perfect life that you could never live. And I'm going to die the death that you deserve, and I'm going to resurrect and claim the victory that you need because it is God and God alone who saves. If you're a Christian, don't, freak, don't lose your focus away from that. God loves you because he created you and he's done it all. And if you're not a Christian, it's not about what you've done, where you come from, the way you look. None of that matters. He created you and he says, I've done it all. Like, come, come. Second thing we'll look at, guys, is pay attention to your life. And we'll read those verses, and beginning in verse 10, it says, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he'll experience loss, but he himself will be saved. Pay attention to your life. And there's two questions that Paul's asking here. The first one is, what is your foundation? And the second one will be, what are you building with your life? He's given us this analogy you know, first he gave us the field one with Paul and Apollos, who planted, watered, God gave growth. 
And he talks about this building and and a laying of a foundation. Um, I am not an expert in construction. So if I say something wrong, you're in construction, just like talk to me after so I don't make the same mistake second service, right? But this is my limited understanding of a foundation, right? You lay a foundation down and you want to have a good foundation because it is integral to whatever you build on top of it, right? If you have a good foundation, it is meant to uphold whatever you build on top of it to protect it, right, to give it a, that's another word for foundation, to give it the foundation that it needs, right, to protect it from, like, the external circumstances, and it's going to stand. But if you have a bad foundation, right, it's going to come down. Like, it, it doesn't matter what you put on top of it. It doesn't matter how nice it looks. It doesn't matter how much money you spent on it. Like, it doesn't matter. Eventually, whatever you put on top of a bad foundation is going to come crashing down and you're going to suffer a great loss. And Jesus speaks about this, right? In, in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus says this about having two different foundations. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet, it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Jesus tells a story two different foundations. And he says, there's the one who hears my words, who hears who I am, what I came to do, and obeys and follows them, is like a man who builds his house on a rock. He says, and the other foundation is the one who hears who I am, hears what I've done, but chooses not to obey, chooses not to follow, is like one who built his house on sand. And the rivers come, and the rains come, and the winds come, and they pound both of the houses, right? But only one of them stands, the one that was built on the right foundation. And so why does it matter in your life that you have the right foundation? Like, why does it matter they even consider this? Why does it matter they even think about what, what is my life built on? Like, why does that matter? Because the story tells us another reality. It tells us another thing that's true about our life today. And that is that regardless what you build your foundation on, like regardless what you believe, life is going to be difficult. Right? In both stories, regardless of the foundation, the rivers rose, the rain came, the wind came, and they pounded the house. And that's just the reality of living in a broken world. Like, one thing we don't get to choose is whether life is going to be difficult and that challenges will come to our life. The the only choice we actually get to make is what are we going to build our foundation on? Like, what are we going to stand on when those things do actually come? Like, what will it be? Will it be something that can stand those things? Or will it be something faulty that might look nice, but at the end, 
it'll collapse and it'll be great loss. Um, David Foster Wallace was, was a writer that, he, he actually wasn't a Christian, but spoke a lot about this idea of worship and what we center and build our lives around. And in a speech he said, he's, he said some of these things that really stuck out to me, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but he said, if, if your foundation is money and things, you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. If your foundation is your body or beauty or sexual allure, you'll always feel ugly. When time and age show, you will die a million deaths. If your foundation is power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will always need more power over others to numb you to your own fears. If your foundation is your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. See, even if your foundation in your Christian faith if you build your foundation on good works, on what you can accomplish, you will live a life of, of guilt, of shame, of just earning with no rest, with no joy, always feeling like you're on the verge of God rejecting you because you're trying to build it based on what you have done. But the truth is, if you make your foundation Jesus Christ, and him crucified, you're free. You're free. You have permission to be human because you know that God won't reject you and he, because he hasn't accepted you based on what you've done but based on what he has done. And in Jesus Christ, there is an answer to the suffering, to the brokenness of the world that can withstand what will happen in our lives. In Jesus Christ and him crucified, there is an answer to the reality of the way and the life that we live today. The second question and final question that Paul's asking is, what are you building with your life? There's a foundation, what is it? And what are you building with your life? What are you doing on top of this? And he mentions these, these two materials, right? Did you catch that? He mentions, he says, you can either build it with gold, silver, or costly stones. He says, or you can build it with wood, hay, or straw. Right. You don't have to know a lot about many things, not even construction. <laughs> Those are really different, right? Like no one here that's married is walking around with like a wooden ring with like a hay ball on top of it. And if you are, like, I'm sorry, I took a risk. I'm like, the odds are probably really low that someone here has that, right? There's like a stark difference between these two materials, right? You see, one of them is, is precious, like there's a, a big worth to it. There's a lot of work that is required to obtain these materials. And, and the other ones are just, they're simple, right? They're common. They don't, it doesn't require, I mean, you can probably go outside right now literally and find some of these things. Like they don't require much. And so why is Paul mentioning these two materials? Because there's a worthy way and there's worthy materials which you can build with your life. And there's an unworthy way with unworthy, common, leftover materials. And so think about your life and the, the areas, the circles, the things that God has placed in your life, right? First and foremost, him. When you think about your relationship with God, how you interact with him, the time you spend with him, 
the ways you seek to serve him and obey him? Are those being done with worthy materials, things that are costly and require sacrifice? Are those things being done with unworthy materials, things that are common, that are left over after you've spent yourself? Think about other things that God has placed in your life, right? Your family, your time, your resources, the gifts God has given you. When you think about using these things, like which one do you approach it with? Is it those things that are costly, lasting, that require sacrifice, or are those the things that are common, that are left over? Because one of them is going to last and one of them is not. And that's the biggest reality that Jesus is trying to speak to, right, in this letter in Paul. And I just want to call your attention to this last part, probably one of the most important parts. And I really want you to listen to these words. And first, I want, you to, I want to say this, that this doesn't have to do with your eternal salvation. This last next, next part we're going to read about the fire and the saving. You're like, what's going on? I thought this church wasn't like this. Like, that's not what Paul's talking about here. We, we've moved past the foundation part. He's talking about the things that we're going to do with our life, right? But Paul wants to speak really seriously to say that the things that you do matter because one of them is going to last and one of them is not. And that's the truth about Christianity and living for eternity. So here's what he says, starting in verse 13. Each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Actually think about your life right now. Your, your goals, your career, the relationships in your life. What consumes your mind, like your emotions? What are you trying to build? Look at your life. Like, what are you trying to build with it? Because what Paul is telling us here, the reality that he's speaking to is that one day, who you actually live your life for is going to be found out. Like, you can fool others, you can even fool yourself, but you can't fool God. Like, one day, who you actually live for is going to be found out. And if it truly was a life that you, to the best of your abilities, you use your time, your resources to build up God's kingdom, to do something that would be of eternal value, if you truly did that, on that day, he says you will receive great reward. As you will have the joy you will have the joy in that last day as you stand before your creator and you will have the joy of offering these things. To see in that the conversations that you have with people, the sharing of your faith matters because you will see the eternal value of that. That the resources that, how you steward the resources God has given you, if, if you did those actually for the kingdom of God, you will have the great joy of seeing those things last 
and seeing God say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. But if it wasn't so, it says it'll all be consumed. There'll be nothing left. Because the scary thing is that you could still be a Christian yet fundamentally be living, be living for yourself. And it's just a scary and dangerous place to be. And the, the reality is gonna hit you on that day, like there's no more faking it, that the, the one shot you had, like the one life God gave you to do something of eternal value is gone. And all the things that you spent, your time, your effort, your, your anxiety, your frustrations, everything, all those things that consumed you, you will have nothing to show of eternal value on that last day. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn and from the world not let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Close your eyes with me for a second. Just, just want you to take a few seconds and just like, look at your life. What is your foundation? Like truly, what, what is the thing that you look to for hope, for joy, for safety? Can it stand the difficulties of life? Is it sturdy enough? Is it strong enough to take the rivers, the winds, and the waves that life brings? What are you building with your life? Think about the way you spend your time. Think about the things that you dream of and hope for. Think about your money and the gifts God has given you. Are you using these things to 
to build something of eternal value? Are the things that you are doing with your life right now, will they be preserved in the fire? Or will you suffer great loss? Lord, we, we ask that you would show us. God, show us what our foundation is. God, if it's not you, I pray that it would become you today. God, if it is you, remind us and help it bring peace, rest, joy into our lives. God, show us what we're building with our lives. Wake us up. Wake us up to see, to have a realistic view of what we're building with our lives. God, let it be something of eternal value. Let us come to you in that last day with great joy as we lay these things down before you. God, help us not come to the end of our life and suffer great loss. Amen.